Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right, well, grab your Bible, your notes, your journal, however you do it in this space. We are finishing our series on compassion this very day uh, that we've titled, Who Cares? For the past several weeks, we've challenged ourselves to grow in our compassion, to grow and cultivate a heart like Jesus. I think that the temptation um, that we all face nowadays is to really live behind our closed doors, isn't it? To live in our own little worlds. To not feel the call or not respond to the call to go outside, to stay comfortable in our own stability, as Pastor Trevor shared with us last week. But there's something about the nature of compassion, isn't there, that Jesus regards as paramount to being a follower of him. I mean, he even goes as far in Matthew 25, as we saw in one of our sermons this uh, past series, that our very allegiance to Jesus is questioned on the evidence of our compassion and love for the least of these, for the poor and the marginalized, for the stranger. Heavy words that Jesus lays out. Have we engaged, have we been intentional about practicing compassion with the people of our world? Do we care about the brokenness and lostness of our world? And well, today as we, as we really close the chapter in our series of, on compassion, we, we want to take out one more category of people, really, that Jesus says is super important to them. Actually, he cried over these people, and these people are the lost, the lost people in our world. And if you don't believe me, let's take a read in Luke 19. Luke 19, we're going to read from verse 28 to 44. Luke 19, 28 to 44. It's going to be on the screen. It's in the COH app. You can follow along in your Bible. It says this. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a cult tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. And those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt And they put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. 
Verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side and they will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We sing Hosanna. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord along with the rest of your people on this Palm Sunday. Lord, and as we remember and we start this week off remembering how it ends, we ask that today, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, and if um, there's someone here who hasn't made a decision for you or is just getting to know you or trying to find you, would you reveal yourself on this very day? Would you reveal yourself to all of us? And would you show us how to have the compassion that you're calling us to have? We thank you. We praise you in the name that is above all names. That is Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, this week on Palm Sunday, we are reading a text along with probably the the rest of the Christian community around the world. This is the iconic Palm Sunday text, as Miranda eloquently stated for us, that they were the palms on the floor. They're praising the Lord Jesus, um, super powerful in and of itself. Everything in, in this passage is key, though. Jesus isn't just riding in on a donkey because he didn't want to walk. It's not because he got tired. He's riding in on a donkey to show that he is the fulfillment of the promises that God made to his people in the Old Testament. That the kingdom of God has gone near. They probably thought, all the Jews in that day, they probably thought of Zechariah 9.9, which really is what shows this reality where it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. And so Jesus here, riding on the donkey, he is the lowly and humble king, riding into Jerusalem, the culmination of everything that God had promised to his people. What a beautiful moment. But today, today we're not going to focus too much on that portion of the scripture. Today, we're actually going to focus on perhaps a less emphasized or sometimes even forgot portion of this narrative. Look at verse 41, where it says, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, key phrase here, he wept over it. He wept over Jerusalem. Now we find here that Jesus, as he approaches Jerusalem, he's deeply moved by something, right? There's only three places in the Bible where the the Bible tells us, the New Testament authors tell us that Jesus was so moved that he cried. The first is uh, when Lazarus, his friend, dies. It says, John 11, 35, if you don't know a Bible verse and you want to learn one today, here it is, John 11, 35. It says, Jesus wept. That that was free, by the way. 
That was free. Anyways, so John eleven thirty five tells us Lazarus died, Jesus wept. That's the first. The second is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there's a really strong implication that he was, it literally says he was in anguish in Luke twenty two forty four, he It says that his sweat was like blood. And most, um, most theologians and commentators that, that read this passage assume that Jesus was weeping in this moment, in anguish. Imagine the description, his his sweat was as blood. And so there's a strong implication there that he was weeping as well. And so really understanding that this very moment where it says Jesus wept over Jerusalem, it's only one of three other moments where Jesus weeps. It's, I think it's crucial, really, to understanding the heart of Jesus and why he did it. And so, well, we all have a reason to cry, don't we? Jesus weeps in this moment. Something made him weep. Things make us weep as well. And actually, if you were on social media channels earlier this week, you would have saw the question that we posted, what makes you cry? And so today, uh, I'm going to share some of the responses. We're going to start with some of the the funny ones, because why not? So people said, number one, things that make you cry, Pixar movies make us cry. (laughs) And actually, I put that one up there on purpose, because that's the one that makes me cry the most. The movie Up brings me so down. I don't know. Got that one too. I'm on a roll today. There we go. So, brings me to tears every single time I watch it. Every time. People also thought Publix commercials make them cry. Actually, that very one did bring a little tear to my eye. You know, anyways. Also, for some reason, Folgers commercials make people cry. That's what they put. I'm not sure if these are tears of joy or sorrow. You can... You can decide on how you make your coffee. Somebody said that Pastor Trevor's love for Tom Brady makes them cry. I think we're just going to leave that one right there. Can we? Can we? I see some, I see some head nods. You know. someone, someone also said that a really good sermon that goes straight to the heart makes them cry. I want to let you know today's one of those days. So get ready. I'm kidding. Not really. So... You know, while we have tears, while we have tears of joy, there's also moments of, of deep sorrow that bring out our tears. Some people related those to us. Here's some of the responses that we receive when someone is, when someone I love is hurting or struggling, makes me cry. When an overwhelming feeling of not being a good enough spouse or parent, yeah. When young children are sick or have to be in the hospital. Every time. The loss of a loved one. Or when people don't love the way God calls us to love. Those things make us cry. And really, when we, when we cry, we're revealing to the outside world the peace of our heart, aren't we? We're revealing that we are deeply moved and we care about a certain reality, a, a certain occasion. And if that is true, well, then what made Jesus cry? And what does his emotion tell us about his heart? And what does his heart tell us about who we ought to be and cultivate our hearts to be? And so really what made Jesus weep in this moment as he's approaching Jerusalem, is, which is the religious center of his people, the the Jewish people, representative of that community, they would ultimately, as a group, reject him as their Lord and Savior and remain Key word here for today, remain lost. And it gets worse because 
Jesus, in this passage, on the tail end of this passage that we just read, he's actually predicting the fall of Jerusalem that's going to happen in A.D. 70. Prior, this is probably about 40 years prior to it happening. And he's predicting that Rome is going to come into Jerusalem, destroy the temple, which would never be rebuilt, destroy its walls and its people. Sad, very sad moment. And Jesus is moved and he weeps. He's heartbroken over the lostness of his own community. Now, think about that for a moment. That Jesus would weep over lost people. That he would weep over people that would never come to know him. I think that is such a powerful implication for us today. Now, I think, though, when we read this passage, sometimes we have a little bit of trouble aligning ourselves with it because the concept of lostness, if we just, let's just be honest, it sounds so abstract, doesn't it? It's almost like we're, we're philosophers talking about some vague idea, lostness. But it's not as abstract as you think. You actually encounter it every single day. It's very real. Allow me to illustrate. Um, we went to Spain a couple years ago. We had a wonderful time with our family. Um, we went with um, a wonderful guide who was Giselle's uncle. He had lived there almost his entire life. So the last thing that we expected was to get lost in a foreign country. We had a native with us and we got lost. We were in a very rural part of the country. Um, we're trying, we're in these two nine passenger vans and we're, we're trying to find this little town in the middle of nowhere in the hills of, of Spain. And the GPS, it takes us to this empty field and it says, you have arrived. Arrived at what? <laughs> That made me want to cry right there. <laughs> and so, not a soul in sight. Hardly, and you know, the reception is going in and out. And, and we, I mean, that's a terrible feeling. Have you ever been lost in a foreign country? It's a terrible feeling. And what was worse is that we're in these nine passenger vans. We have no idea when anybody's going to be able to use the restroom. Let's just, let's just throw that out there. That got me. So, but anyways, think about that for a moment, right? Think about that. Wandering about aimlessly in a foreign place, not knowing your destination, not knowing where you're going. There's something missing. And if you apply that from not only a road trip, right? I think if you apply that to us, that same very concept, we could say people get lost, don't they? People's souls get lost. Every person is trying to figure out what life is about, wandering about, trying to find the destination. Where am I going? What is this all about? What's the purpose behind it all? You know, I think um, a lot of people, when they, when they engage with this question, I think a lot of times people will try to answer it with, they try to be a good person. I'm just trying to be the best person I can be. I'm trying to be a good person. Well, one of the reasons I said this is, is because I found this poll online from one poll. They, they got 2,000 respondents here in the U.S. And they asked, do you think that you're a good person? And here was the finding. Three out of four people said that they thought they were a good person. They thought they were a good person. And I, I think if you were to take that out to a macro scale, that's only 2,000 people, but that's the beauty of a statistic. You take it out to a macro scale, I think, I think most people would say that's true. 
I think most people are trying to be a good person in their society, trying to do the best they can. And as I was thinking about this, I thought of a super funny moment. I was in uh, BJ's with Giselle, and we were with the baby, one of the first times that we had gone out. And obviously, we were just so exhausted and sleep deprived. And I had like this, like sleep deprived look on my face. And Giselle leans over to me and she says, hey, are you good? (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, sweetie, I'm I'm good. I'm good. Well, you know, I walk on over ahead of her and I I go to the the bread section. I grab this loaf of bread and I put it in my arm and I start rocking it. (laughs) Just like this. I'm walking, there's somebody standing right there looking at me. And I'm here just looking at, "Mm, this is a nice hamburger bun. I've got this sliced loaf of bread right here. 30 seconds. Just go on there. She goes, have you lost your mind? (laughs) I thought you said you were good. I thought you said, I'm like, I thought I was good. And here's, here's here's what came together for me in that moment. It's not just about thinking that you're good. There's something deeper at stake with lostness. Something that you and I can't connect together. Something that you and I can't attain. Paul puts it this way in Romans 3, 23 to 24. He says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can't bridge the gap no matter how good we are. But here's the tail end of that passage where it says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In other words, here's what we want to say today. An incredibly good person without Jesus, is still short of the glory of God, is still lost. We all need Jesus. And so now in light of this understanding of lostness, people who don't know Jesus, we can recognize why Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem because they would remain lost. They would never receive the opportunity to have a relationship with their Lord and Savior. Now, the often forgotten detail of this narrative is that Jesus here is really weeping over his own community, his own people. Jesus was a Jew in those days. And so he's weeping over Jerusalem, the, the, really the center, the epicenter of the Jewish community. Did Jesus have a heart for all lost people? Yes, he did. Look at Luke 19.10. He says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. He came for all of us. But in this very moment, in the text, in this context, he is saying, as he approached Jerusalem, notice in verse 41, and he saw the city, he wept. He wept over his own people. Now, let me turn the table on us a little bit. When you think of your own people, when you think of your own community, your own family, your own friends, does it draw out tears in you? Does it pain you? Does it draw the same emotion that Jesus had in that moment as he beheld his community in that moment? I think if we're all honest here, I think sometimes we we struggle to remind ourselves of this reality, don't we? I want you to know that you're not alone. Even even I as a pastor, I've been super challenged by this this series on compassion because we're constantly having to train and and retrain and ask for the Lord's grace to take on his heart for the lost, for the broken, for the needy, for the poor, asking the Lord Jesus to give us his 
heart to be more like him. And if we're honest, we all do that. We all need to do that on a daily basis. And remembering that the most important decision anybody can make for their lives is accepting the Lord Jesus as their Savior. And so if we truly believe that people are lost, if we truly believe that people are lost without Jesus, here's what that means for us. It means there's urgency. There's urgency. Something that is urgent is timely. It's necessary. It trumps everything else on the schedule. We have, it's a priority. It's something that we need to keep at the forefront of our minds. But we all have the ability to decide what's urgent, don't we? In our own hearts. For example, I was, the other day, I would always tell Giselle, you can call me for anything urgent or just text for anything that's normal. Text for anything normal, call for anything urgent. So usually, if she were to call me at any time, I will answer the phone thinking or knowing that it's something urgent. I, except when she calls me and I pick up the phone, I stop what I'm doing, run out of a meeting, and she'll say, hey, are you picking up dinner today? I'm like, gee, that's not, a, that's not an urgent need. And she's like, well, I guess you'll starve then, you know. <laughs> now it's urgent. You know, I have a definition of urgency. She has a definition of urgency. You have a definition of urgency. And here's what I'm trying to say. We have to decide in our hearts that reaching lost people is urgent because it is, and it was urgent to Jesus. And actually, as a church, I want you to know that we have decided that it's urgent. At COH value number one, lost people matter to God, and they matter to us. Lost people matter to God, they matter to us. We've decided at Community of Hope that this is urgent. We've even put it in our mission statement where it says we exist to interest disinterested people. People who don't know him, don't even know that they need to know him. It's urgent. Our church has decided it's urgent. We individually, in our faith walks, need to decide that this is an urgent matter. But secondly, if you truly believe that people are lost without Jesus, it also means that there's a responsibility on our part. There's urgency and there's responsibility. And here's what that means. You and I are actually God's plan for reaching this world in the name of Jesus. We are his strategy, so to speak. You know, I think we can admit that there's some kind of a mystery here, right? Where God's doing his work in the world, bringing about salvation, right? We're not technically saving people, but at the same time, God is using us to bring people into his kingdom, to share his gospel. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's a mystery in and of itself that God would use us to proclaim his name and bring people to salvation. Paul puts it this way in Romans 10, 13 through 15. He says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But verse 14, he says, how then can they call on the one day they have, on, on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's you and I. That's not me. That's you and I. That's all of us. Paul makes it sound like it's almost dependent on us because in a sense it is dependent on us to take the good news. And so as we we bring not just 
our sermon to a close, but we bring the, the entire series. We want to give a gentle challenge this week. Take the good news to somebody. Take the good news to somebody. Invite them to Easter. As Pastor Brandon said at the top of our service, invite. Invite. It's a great day for people to get reconnected with the Lord, renew faith walks. But I want to say something about this. It's not just about a Sunday, right? Really, this whole series, we've, we've really been pushing at the fact that as followers of Jesus, we need to be others-focused. We need to really resist the temptation to live that privatized, individualistic faith that we're so tempted by to alter to live. A faith that is less than what Jesus has called us to. Jesus has called us to community. He's called to sharing his good news. He's called us to compassion. And so my hope would be that this series moved your heart in such a way to engage in that random acts of kindness to strangers, to the least of these, which more than likely will always open the door to sharing his good news. Let's pray. Lord, we are just so thankful for your grace around this topic. Lord, you know that we long to have a heart like yours for the lost, for the least of these, for the poor and the marginalized. That's what we long for. Lord, would you put it continually in our hearts to be your hands and feet? Would you help us to to resist the cultural pull to to be self-centered, to be inward-focused, but to look outward, to not walk across on the other side of the street as you showed in your Good Samaritan parable that we read just not too long ago. But Lord, that we would be sacrificial in our compassion, that we would be sacrificial in making time, in being intentional. We ask that you would renew our hearts in this moment. We give them to you. Continually cultivate them in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.